This is Whirlins the Dwarf. And I'm Adeldia the Elf. And we're from the Elf and Dwarf Podcast. And you're listening to Treks in Sci-Fi. Hey, this is Rico, and thanks, Rorlins and Adeldia from the Elf and Dwarf Podcast, a World of Warcraft podcast, for sending in that intro. This is Treks in Sci-Fi, podcast number 114 for Easter Sunday, April the 8th, 2007. Happy Easter, everyone, for those that celebrate it. Going to have a uh, good show, I think. And I sorry, just got uh, a little distracted for a second. We're going to be talking about a uh, second season Star Trek Voyager episode called Cold Fire. Uh, I have some listener uh, entries to play, some audio, and a older collectible, something that I handmade myself many years ago. So stand by. Here we go. just want to uh, dedicate this show to all the men and women that can't be with their families this Easter holiday, those serving abroad and uh, defending uh, their country that uh, happen to be overseas in the Mideast. Uh, this show is for you, everyone. Welcome again to the podcast, everyone. This is Rico, and of course, you're tuning into Treks in Sci-Fi. I'd like to, uh, of course, thank everyone for taking the time uh, on Easter or maybe the day after, or whenever you've listened to the, or listening to this podcast. Taking the time to download the show is always most welcome. Thank you very much. If you're new to the show, this is a uh, podcast where I go over. Uh, most week, it's it's usually covering a Star Trek episode from the past, from one of the various Star Trek series, perhaps a movie. Sometimes they do special shows related to other sci-fi and fantasy topics, such as last week's show, which was all about uh, kind of superhero cartoons and Saturday morning shows and things like that. I've talked about comics, uh, various other sci-fi series like Farscape, The Twilight Zone. Going to be doing an Outer Limit show soon. So it's just... Uh, you know, for the uh, for the geeks out there and those that uh, enjoy this kind of thing, I think this podcast is something you'll enjoy if you're new to it. For those that have been listening for a long time, you know what the show is all about. And, uh, well, let's get into it. Not really a lot of new Star Trek news this week to, um, to talk about. I did pick up uh, issue three of the Star Trek comic, 
which uh, this uh, this issue is all about. Uh, it's a it's a next generation episode, uh, or at least a storyline from the next generation era, uh, back when they were in the sort of series time with the Enterprise D, uh, mainly featuring Worf uh, in a big role, uh, Troy a little bit, and Riker. Sort of a little love triangle situation going on along with uh, the attack of an alien ship uh, against the Enterprise. It's a good issue. The artwork, I think, is, is a little bit better than they've been doing in the previous ones. Maybe uh, the artist is a little bit better with uh, Next Generation. I'm not sure if it's the same artist that did the other issues. Uh, they may be using different artists and different writers each issue. I haven't really honestly paid close enough attention to that i'd have to think that they are though this one looks just a little different in style and that so it was a good issue number three of the star trek comic uh being put out so check that out if you're into comics and trek other bit of news in the trek universe is jimmy doohan uh who played of course our beloved scotty on the original series his uh his ashes are going to finally get launched into space on the shuttle uh, that will be at the end of this month, April 28th, I believe is the date. Uh, I had an interesting email, actually, from somebody. I forget the exact name of the person, uh, but they were uh, visiting my Flickr account, and I have some convention photos up there of Jimmy doing at a, uh, oh, at a comic convention uh, probably five years or more ago, something like that, and uh, in the Detroit area, and they had asked for their per- for my permission to use the photo in some kind of a uh, website they're setting up, I think, to honor uh, James Dewan uh, and his uh, role as Scotty. So I think that's pretty cool. Uh, I didn't even know. You know, I think uh, Flickr is a really cool service, and there's ways to search on there. And I guess they found some of my pictures and uh, enjoyed uh, what I did. So uh, didn't really have a lot of great shots, I thought. But he uh, he was on stage with several other Star Trek actors, uh Jonathan Frakes at one point, uh, who played, of course, Riker on TNG. So that's a pretty cool thing. So Jimmy is being launched into space, which is a fitting uh, tribute to our uh, engineer from the original series. Other news items in Trek uh, universe, uh, there's some fan films coming up uh, pretty soon here. Uh, Star Trek of Gods and Men, uh, which is the uh, Tim Russ effort, who played Tuvok on Voyager. That's going to be coming up with the first part of its three-part release on the Internet. Uh, I believe it's set for the middle of this month, approximately. I think you can go to Star Trek of Gods and Men and check out the exact release. I think it was around April 15th, if I remember correctly. And, of course, there's another new Star Trek New Voyages episode coming up uh, very soon. should be released by the end of this month. Uh, and that is uh, going to, st- or is starring, uh, George Takai, who played, of course, Mr. Sulu on the original series. Looks like a really good one. Uh, I've seen some still shots from it online on the Star Trek New Voyages site. Some cool stuff, and they always do a fantastic job. So check out those those films in the Trek universe very soon, coming out in the next few weeks. And the latest in the Enhanced Star Trek episode front, uh, this just this past weekend, actually last night, uh, late night uh, for me where I live, they played uh, the enhanced version of the Immunity Syndrome, which of course is when the Enterprise meets that big space-faring uh, amoeba, and Spock ends up going in the shuttlecraft to... Uh, to investigate it and all that kind of cool stuff happens. It's a lot of good effects and, uh, or at least the good opportunity for enhanced effects for that episode, just like last week's where they did the Tholian web and with the defiant and the Tholians and the web and all that stuff showing up, they did a really great job on that. A lot of new effects in there, uh, almost rivaling 
the amount of effects they put into the Doomsday Machine when they redid that one. Uh, it's really cool that they're putting these out. Uh, I've heard comments and, and information out there that they're eventually going to release these all on an HD uh, format, uh, HD DVD format, probably towards the end of this year, maybe a season at a time. The question that I'm not sure of, and maybe somebody could email me at treksf at gmail.com and let me know is I'm guessing when they release these again in the HD format that they were only going to be releasing the enhanced versions. I'm not sure if the DVDs will contain both the originals and the HD versions at the same time. So we'll have to wait and see how that works out. Uh, but uh, it's it's pretty cool that they're doing these again. I've, I've been enjoying them and the effects are, are pretty neat. But I think they're, uh, you know, you can always still buy the originals if you'd like on DVD right now. And let's uh, switch gears and get into the world of Star Wars. The room was quiet and dark. Leia gripped her blaster with a sweaty hand and wondered what had woken her up. She lay there for several minutes, her heart thudding, but there were no sounds, no movements, no threats that her limited Jedi senses could detect, nothing but a creepy feeling that she was in danger. She reached over to the nightstand, set her blaster down and picked up her comlink. And out of the darkness, a sinewy hand reached out to seize her wrist. The Star Wars Action News Book Club is taking sign-ups for Timothy Zahn's New York Times number one bestseller, Heir to the Empire, the first book in the classic Thrawn trilogy. I am the last of the Jedi. Not the last of the old Jedi, Luke. The first of the new. Jedi shall rise again. Full details at SWActionNews.com Join us and learn. And that's a uh, promo for the uh, book uh, club that they've been doing over at Star Wars Action News, SWActionNews.com. They've been going through all the Star Wars novels in chronological order and the latest one they're going to be looking at is Timothy Zahn's excellent uh, first book in the Thrawn trilogy, Heir to the Empire. I can remember uh, distinctly back in the 90s when this came out, reading this book. Uh, it was uh, excellent. Uh, to just show you how good this book was, I uh, I can really recall reading uh, reading the book uh, almost in the, in the darkness by flashlight because... I remember I was near the end of the book, and we had lost power at my house. Uh, it was during the summer, and I think there was some kind of a storm, and we lost power. And I was so into the book, and I wanted to find out what was going on and what was going to happen in it, that I, I basically uh, I was sitting by a window trying to get the last of the light before it became night to, to continue to read Air to the Empire. And then I grabbed a flashlight or a candle or something. I can't remember exactly what it was, and I tried to, to keep reading as... Uh, the darkness came. It was uh, just a great set of books. The probably the first one I think I almost enjoyed the most, just because it had been so long since we had a new good Star Wars story featuring the original trilogy characters. So if if you are a Star Wars fan and you've never read Timothy Zahn's books, uh, this the Thrawn trilogy, I highly encourage you to do so. With and start with uh, Star Wars Action News. They're looking at Heir to the Empire. Uh, this, uh, I guess they're going to be starting in a couple of weeks, I think. I'm not sure the exact date, but check their website out for more details. 
that's about all I wanted to cover on the Star Wars uh, information and news front. Not a lot really going on that I found new this week uh, in the Star Wars world. Uh, things continue to, uh, excitement continues to build, I guess you could say, is uh, for the Celebration 4 in May, which I've talked about a couple times before. And they've got a lot of uh, cool collectibles coming out that are coming out and uh, be coming out in the next few months related to Celebration 4. You know, check Sideshow Choice, Gentle Giant, all the usual places for that. Uh, They've got uh, some cool things coming. Actually, it's uh, a great time to be a Star Wars fan as far as collecting goes. It seems to be uh, almost as uh, big this year because of the 30th anniversary as it was in the movie year of uh, last movie year of 2005 when Revenge of the Sith came out. So lots of cool collectibles. Next, uh, I want to mention that a couple of things. One, next weekend's podcast, I am going to be covering on the Star Wars vein of things. I'm going to finally look at uh, start looking at the prequel movies. I've done the original trilogy movies, had a podcast dedicated to each one. And next weekend, I'm going to look at the first one, The Phantom Menace. Yeah, I know it's not the best of films, but there's a lot of neat and fun stuff in it, I think. And it was, of course the first film that we had seen, a Star Wars film, in many years after uh, Return of the Jedi came out in 1983. So next week's podcast will be a look at The Phantom Menace. And related to that, I have a new contest. I think I'm going to just run this for one week. So you've got one week to do this. I'm going to do a contest. This is going to be a a contest to win a action figure. It's... uh, Qui-Gon Jinn action figure from the Power of the Jedi run. This is Qui-Gon in a different kind of outfit. He's wearing uh, something called Jedi training gear. It's kind of a dark outfit. I'm looking at the figure now, and it's from uh, the Power of the Jedi series, Collection 1, and it's in good shape. I got a, uh, a few extras of these, so this will be to win that. And what I want people to do is send me an audio file, and just real briefly in, you know, 30 seconds, no more than a minute, uh, Tell me what your, who your favorite in any of the Star Wars movies, series, anything, who your favorite uh, Star Wars character is, and maybe just a quick mention of why. Maybe it's somebody you identify with, somebody you really like. Uh, but anyway, mention your uh, favorite uh, Star Wars character. Could be a, a human type character, could be an alien, could be any of the characters. Any, it doesn't matter. But send those in. Send the audio MP3 file to treksf at gmail.com. If you can't do an audio file on your own, you can always call the voicemail line 206-88-TREX. We'll get you to the voicemail for the show. So send those audio files in, and I will uh, basically pick one. I'll play a bunch of them on the show, and we'll randomly kind of pick one for the winner. I think I'm noticing on my recording today, I think I might be talking a little too loud. I might be getting a lot more pops and, and puff noises on the podcast, so I apologize with uh, or about that. I kind of tweaked my mixer a little bit this morning. I was trying to improve the sound just a tiny bit, and I may have overdone it a little bit. But, hey, I've got a uh, voicemail here from our, our buddy Rick Pete. Uh, he called the uh, the voicemail line. Uh, the quality on this recording is not that great, but he has some questions about Wonder Woman. So listen to Rick's call. Hi, Rico. This is Rick from the forums. How are you? I uh, just finished listening to your cartoons podcast, and I really enjoyed it. Thank you for doing that. I did want to ask your opinion on one item. Um, I really enjoyed watching uh, the show on the Cartoon Channel with the Justice League. and But the one thing I had a problem with was the fact that on that show, Wonder Woman can fly, 
and Wonder Woman is about as powerful as Superman. And in fact, they had one episode where the two of them had a knockdown drag out, and uh, Wonder Woman, I think, pretty much won that fight. But my concern, I guess, was this, uh, did you hear or see any show that explained how all of a sudden Wonder Woman can fly? Because she did not have that ability, needed her invisible jet. So when in her comic lore did she acquire the power of flight you know, and the super strength that rivals Superman. I'm just curious if they just did that as a political, uh, you know, PC type of thing um, for female viewers, which is fine. Um, or was there something that happened in the Wonder Woman lore that explained that? So I'm just curious if you do anything about that. Other than that, um, thanks for the podcast. Thanks for all your work. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye now. Well, thanks a lot for your call, Rick. Uh, yeah, in regards to Wonder Woman's strength and her ability to fly, I'm not uh, the best expert on Wonder Woman and her history in the DC Universe, but I did a quick check on Wikipedia this morning, as, as much as I was able to do, and it appears they don't have a real specific time frame when this happened. They're kind of making it sound like when I read the Wonder Woman entry on, Win- Wonder-, on Wonder Woman in Wikipedia, uh, excuse me, uh, <laughs> anyway, the... The entry here basically says she was, you know, granted all of her powers and abilities by the gods, uh, the Olympi- Olympian gods, and she has a, a very uh, a great amount of strength, of course, uh, probably against maybe second only to Superman in the DC universe. And her power of flight was granted to her, and her she's also super fast, uh, almost rivaling the Flash. Both were granted the the flying and the speed by Hermes, of course, the messenger of the gods. But I'm not sure, you know, in the original comics, when it, when Wonder Woman first started out, maybe she didn't have all those abilities, but they eventually started to show up. Kind of like that's happened for a lot of superheroes. Superman was the same situation a little bit. A lot of characters, you don't, in the first few issues, don't find out all that they can do, and eventually you do. The, the fact that she has the jet, uh, I think, was maybe more to... That was for the old TV show that they did with Linda Carter and also to carry passengers in that. But Wonder Woman definitely can fly on her own and she has a very uh, strong and could, uh, you know, get into a fight with Superman and kind of hold her own at least for a while. So I don't know if that answers your question completely, Rick. Uh, I'm sure you could find more on the Internet. And if anybody else has any more details about Wonder Woman and her history, please uh, send me an email and let me know. And while we're on the uh, topic of comics and things, uh, somebody on the forums, Mr. Osterman, I think I'm saying your name correctly. Uh, anyway, they, uh, he's a teacher, and for his physics class, I believe it was, they were looking at uh, the death of Gwen Stacy in the Spider-Man universe. Uh, for those not familiar with Spider-Man and Gwen Stacy, Gwen Stacy was kind of the love of Peter Parker's life early on. And uh, this has been out for many years, so I don't think this is really much of a spoiler. But the Green Goblin, one of uh, Spider-Man's arch nemesis, nemesis. Anyway, he uh, Green Goblin takes Gwen Stacy up to the top of a bridge in New York, and she gets tossed off of the bridge. And Spider-Man tries to save her. He shoots his webs down to try to grab her, but uh, she dies in the process. And it's been kind of debated about exactly what killed her in this fall, but. Uh, 
Mr. Osterman on the forums and his class have been looking into it. And they have a special report that they, uh, an audio report that they sent in. I thought it'd be kind of fun to play that for you now. And I, right after that, we'll be getting into the Voyager episode. So here's the uh, special report on Spider-Man's court case. And now we interrupt your normal podcast to bring you breaking news about the Spider-Man murder trial. And now, here's Nick Newton. Thank you. This is Nick Newton reporting for Physics News Network. We were all shocked when the New York District Attorney's Office brought charges of negligent homicide against Peter Parker, a.k.a. the Spider-Man. Today ended the entire case for the prosecution. It sounds like they're basing most of their evidence on two key witnesses. They've questioned the city coroner who verified that Gwen Stacy, girlfriend of Peter Parker, did indeed die from neck injuries caused by a sudden stop. The defense attempted to first undermine the coroner's reports and then to try to play to the possibility that some other injury other than the sudden stop halfway down the Washington Bridge was indeed the cause of Miss Stacy's death. Prosecution on rebuttal clearly showed that was indeed not the case. Their other key witness for the prosecution was the only other living eyewitness to the alleged crime, one Dr. Norma Oswald, a.k.a. the Green Goblin. The Green Goblin's testimony was that Parker did indeed know that he could have had other options, but using his web stopped Miss Stacy halfway down, the sudden deceleration proving fatal. The defense has not had any opportunity to present any case and has reserved their opening remarks for the next day of the trial. We will keep you posted here with breaking news. Thank you. This is Nick Newton reporting for PNN. Thank you, Nick. And now back to your normally scheduled podcast. Thanks for sending that in, Mr. O, and uh, from your class. Uh, it's uh, it's a really cool thing, I think, to do something like that. I used to teach uh, uh, quite a while ago, but uh, work in more of the research and technical area there now in a private company type situation. But teaching science to kids, uh, anytime you can bring in things like that, uh, things from movies, TV, comic books, uh, usually sparks up some interest and gets them into it. Uh, one thing I noticed, I picked up um, an issue of an old book called Marvels where they had uh, a lot of classic uh, stories retold from the point of view of uh, kind of your average everyday people on the streets in New York and things. And there was one that they did about this death of Gwen Stacy. And in this, they mentioned actually that maybe just the shock of her falling off the bridge had killed her even before uh, Spider-Man, before Peter shot his webs down to try to save her. So I've heard that story before about people, um, you know, that potentially if you fall from a great height for some reason, accidental or, or whatever, that, you, you know, your heart could be, you know, you could just have a heart attack by the shock of it all. So it's hard to say, but that's a cool thing you're doing, Mr. O. Keep it up. And next up, the episode uh, from the second season of Star Trek Voyager called Cold Fire. I'm going to play the preview for the episode first and then we'll get into the discussion she holds a power your mental abilities are rapidly maturing beyond imagination bring the fire and beyond her control now she must use it i don't want to hurt anybody to save the crew i believe the female caretaker is here i can feel her presence from alien forces bent on revenge she wants to destroy the ship on the next star trek voyager 
Okay, so Star Trek Voyager, second season episode, Cold Fire. Uh, uh, kind of a critical episode in the Voyager uh, series, and I thought it'd be a good one to cover uh, this week. Basically, this uh, story revolves around Kess and uh, also uh, around the the second character. Yeah. <laughs> Rico's flubbing his lines again. My lines, my lines. Oh, I'm sorry. Maybe I'll edit this out. Maybe not. Anyway, it's about the uh, female caretaker. If you remember from the pilot episode of Star Trek Voyager, there was this entity, this alien entity called the caretaker that was responsible really for bringing Voyager to to the area of space that was 70 years away from, or at warp speed, 70 years away from uh, the Federation. And that caretaker dies in the first uh, episode, the pilot episode, and Voyager, of course, is stuck uh, in the Delta Quadrant for, well, at least seven seasons, let's just say. This episode, uh, Cold Fire, revolved around a Voyager running into another uh, sort of station array out there that looked a lot like the Caretaker's array that he lived on. And it also involves Kess and involves the female Caretaker, the other Caretaker that Voyager has been kind of searching for. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. This uh, was a story by a guy named Anthony Williams, uh, teleplayed by Brandon Braga, of course, who was a big writer and producer on Voyager, wrote a lot of the episodes and had a big hand in the series, and directed by a guy named Cliff Bowl, who directed quite a bit of uh, Voyager's episodes. Again, this is from the second season, about midway through. The characters are fairly well developed. Uh, I'd say it's it's slightly a character cast type uh, episode, but there's also some a pretty important plot points going on. There's a guest star, uh, Gary Graham, plays this character named Tannis in the episode, and he also played Soval. Soval, I think is how you say his name. He was a Vulcan. Uh, he's basically T'Pol's boss on the Enterprise series. He was the Vulcan that was sort of an ambassador to Earth, and he'd always show up uh, when the Vulcans were needed or talked to by Archer or his crew or T'Pol or whatever. So uh, Gary Graham also was on that uh, Alien TV series. What was that called? Alien Nation, I believe it was. He played a cop on that show. Gary Graham has done a lot of uh, sci-fi over the years. Good actor. So, um, so that's the episode we're going to go through. I've got about ten clips or so to play. The first one is near the opening. This is when they discover this uh, this kind of a alien life form thing that the doctor has got in his uh, in sick bay. So listen to this clip. Somehow I find it hard to believe this rock suddenly came to life for several seconds. I concur. However, dead or alive, these are the remains of an alien entity we never fully understood. It may be prudent to place it in a level three biohazard containment field. Agreed. But first, I want to take a look. At... I'm picking up life signs. They're sporocystian. The caretaker was a sporocystian life form. But according to my readings, the life signs aren't coming from the remains. The remains are simply resonating in response to an external energy source. Some other life form. Where? Let's find out. Jay made a bridge. Mr. Kim, begin scans for a sporocystian life form. Aye, Captain. Stand by. Ah, yes. The sporocystians. You know, nobody really does... Uh, techno babble better than Star Trek Voyager. They were, uh, in my mind, almost uh, above and beyond uh, the techno babble ever that showed up on Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, 
Voyager really put it out there. Of course, it was supposed to be, you know, a pretty advanced ship. They were in the, you know, a very uncharted, unknown area of space. So this whole sporocystian life form and, and everything that they, there's a lot of clips, everything that they discuss in relation to that and tracking it in this episode is is very heavy techno babble. I always uh, feel sorry for these actors that have to learn these lines. Not only do they need to memorize these lines, but they also need to, you know, there, there's no real frame of reference. These are words like sporocystian, which I, they, that you that word's probably used uh, 50 times in this episode, and it's really not a very good word. You know, it sounds it, it sounds like something you'd see under a microscope. I I don't know. I just I think sporocysts are a biological thing. I, biology was never my strong suit. I was more of a chemist than chemistry major. But, you know, just they seemed like they could have come up with a better word than that. But anyway, that's just a little comment. Uh, so there's this little rock thing sort of bobbling around and, and giving off some kind of energy. And it leads the Voyager crew to this uh, other space array. And that's uh, in relation to this next clip I'm going to play right now. Captain, we're picking up an artificial structure on long-range sensors. It appears to be a space station of some kind. Slow to impulse and put it on screen. That looks a lot like the caretaker's array. The configuration is similar. So is the surface composition, but it's only about one-tenth the size. Are there any sporocystian life forms on board? No, but I am picking up over 2,000 carbon-based life forms. They appear to be... Wait a second. Confirming. Captain? They're Ocampa. One of the uh, things that I was kind of a little bit disappointed in when this episode, when I first saw it, was that you never really get a chance to see this other array. They don't go aboard it. Of course, the Ocampa, a couple of the individuals, uh, beam over to Voyager, and they have uh, all the discussions with them, and everything happens on Voyager. So, you know, that kind of keeps it more or a, a cheaper show that way. But, you know, it seems like it would have been neat to see the uh, this other array with the Ocampa and everyone on there. Uh, Voyager uh, did kind of a lot of what I call bottle shows or ship in a bottle shows where the episodes all took place on Voyager and I think to me that was one of the drawbacks and I know that there are reasons they do that budget and things like that but I would have liked to have seen more episodes you know that they went on planets and they did you know they did a number of those episodes as well but uh, I think they had just a few too many ship in a bottle type shows although this episode I think is a strong one even because even without uh, visiting the array so the next clip, this is when they first um, talk to uh, Gary Graham's character, who uh, is called, his name is Tannis, uh, which uh, there were some Dragonlands books that I read years ago. I think one of the characters in the books is also named Tannis. Uh, he was a little, like, kind of Hobbit-type character, if I remember correctly. So, interesting. I Like, like I said, with the name, uh, the Sporocystian Energy, Suspiria, who is the name of the female caretaker, which we'll find out here in a couple minutes, it's, uh, you know, they, I think the uh, they need to have a better list of words and stuff to use for some of this stuff. I, I think they could have done better for this episode on that a little bit. So anyway, here's the next clip. This is with uh, Gary Graham's character aboard Voyager. Our readings identified a sporocystian life form in this area. We've been looking for that life form for months. Why? To destroy it? No. 
On the contrary. We believe it has the technology that could send us home. Captain, are you aware of how your ship is regarded? That when Voyager appears, people fear destruction? Your ship is known as a ship of death. What? You've established quite a reputation. You killed the caretaker, declared war on the Kazon, raided planets for their resources. None of that is true. We've never attacked anyone except in self-defense. And we did not kill the caretaker. He died of natural causes. Mr. Tennis, please try to understand. We only want to find the entity we've been looking for. I want to talk to you alone. Our sensors tell us she's somewhere in this region. Can you help us find her? Captain, I'd like to speak to Tennis alone if I may. One of the neat uh, parts of this episode is Tuvok and his uh, tutoring of Kess about her. She has sort of telepathic abilities, uh, kind of latent almost powers that Tuvok, because of his mental disciplines as a Vulcan, is trying to sort of uh, bring out in her and, and get her in tune with, kind of. And so does this uh, alien, uh, this other Okampa, this guy named Tannis, Gary Graham's character. When he comes aboard, he decides to take Kess under his wing and so to speak, and start to sort of try to develop her and train her more. You never really exactly know why that's the case. He, um, I, I think, um, well, it's not really clear, at least to me. I, I didn't quite catch why he was all about doing that and so quickly, but her powers and abilities uh, grow very fast through this episode, and she gets uh, she creates some dangerous situations. So the next clip is in the aeroponics area, which is sort of the you know, place the garden and, and where Kess grows plants and she likes that nature kind of stuff. She's kind of like the druid on Voyager uh, in World of Warcraft terms. So here's another scene, or here's a scene with Kess and Tannis in Airponics. Look around you, Kess. This is a cold and barren place. There are over 150 people on board. I'd hardly call that barren. There are people, but there's so little life. Part of me weeps to see you in this place. You're so isolated. Corridors, bulkheads, all cutting you off from the world around you. You live on a space station. How is it any different? Oh, I assure you, it's very different. You're very young, aren't you? Two years. Would it surprise you to know that I'm 14 years old? That's not possible. The oldest Okampa only lived to be nine. You know so little about your own people. There's so much for you to learn about yourself, about the galaxy. Being here on this ship is holding you back. These people are helping me. I'm a member of the crew. <laughs> I suppose we were like you once, innocent, naive. But when Suspiria brought us here 300 years ago, she began to teach us how we could become stronger than we ever could have on the homeworld. Speria, is that your caretaker? We don't think of her as a caretaker. Her species is actually called the Nacine. Then you do know her. Where is she? Nearby. So you learn some interesting things in that uh, clip. You learn about that the, the caretaker is a, is a member of a, a species of beings uh, called the Nacine, according to Tannis there. So that would lead you to believe that even if the uh, male caretaker uh, from the pilot episode is dead and you meet the female caretaker here, Suspiria, that there may be even other caretakers out there as well, which I don't think we ever meet in Voyager other than the female one. So 
Uh, interesting there. Uh, one of the things I always thought was interesting about the character of Kess was her limited lifespan. She was only supposed to be living till like seven or I think it was seven or eight uh, because uh, Kess's character about midway through Voyager left was off the show. I, they never really got to a chance to explore that situation. And I thought that would have been rather interesting because it's, you know, most of the uh, aliens that Star Trek has ever met uh, on the show, for the most part, tend to live, you know, as much as or as long as humans, or a lot of them actually live longer. Vulcans, especially Romulans, uh, Klingons, they, they live many, many years longer than humans do. So for them to bring a uh, race of beings, uh, aliens on, on Star Trek that lived a very short lifespan, I thought was an interesting idea. And would have been interesting of how they dealt with that and how they were able to uh, deal with the short lifespan and, and how that would affect their their life and their friends and, and their loves and everything like that. You know, if you only were going to live seven or eight years in our time frame, you know, you, I think your life would be quite a bit different. I think you would you would be, you know, so much rushing to do what you wanted to do. I, it would just be completely different that than a human's type of lifestyle. So kind of a disappointment. They never really got to explore that with Kess's character. Uh, it's uh, one, of, one of the uh, kind of eh, drawbacks, or I don't know what, how to say it, uh, kind of a little missed opportunity for Voyager. Anyway, let's go on. The next uh, scene, this is the classic uh, dinner scene. You know, a lot of episodes where they meet up with aliens, the best thing to do is to, you know, kind of have them, uh, have them over for dinner. Throw, throw a little party, and then everyone gets talking around a table, eating and stuff like that. And they do that in this episode with Tannis and, uh, you know, on Voyager and discussing things and what, trying to learn a little bit more about the female characters. Caretaker. There we go. That's how to say it. Yes. <laughs> Here we go with the next clip. Mr. Tannis, is it true you're 14 years old? Yes. That's quite common with my people here. Suspiria helped us develop a technology to extend the Ocampo lifespan three generations ago. My father lived to be 20 years. Would that technology work for Kess? Possibly. Where does Suspiria live? On another array? Oh, nothing so corporeal as that. She exists as pure sporocysteine energy. She only assumes physical form when we need to communicate with her. Does she occupy our space-time continuum? I don't know. Uh, all I know is when we need her, she comes. I'll take you to the meeting place. I'm sure all your questions will be answered then. You'll enjoy meeting her, Kess, as well as the other Ocampa here. I'd love to visit the station. Visit? Why not stay with us? Yeah, like uh, Chakotay's line in that uh, scene where he's like, does she occupy our space-time continuum? Uh, well, you know, Chakotay, she's a caretaker, and so did the other caretaker, at least, so I, I think you could make a guess, besides, uh, again, with the techno babble a little bit, and uh, it's just, just kind of too much, I think, and it's, it doesn't really add much to the show for, for that particular line, and I don't know, it just, it just seems like they could have done a little better job on that, cleaned things up a little tighter, uh, and made it a little bit more relatable, you know, it's a little hard to relate to some of those kinds of, uh, comments. Anyway, let's uh, move on. The next scene. This is uh, a fairly long clip, almost two minutes, but I think there's some important things. Uh, Tannis is trying to signal the caretaker at the beginning, and then there's a scene, uh, a kind of an important scene with Tuvok and Kess after she's been learning some new tricks from Tannis and wants to try them out. So listen to this clip. May I access your communications equipment? 
Of course. I've sent out a subspace carrier wave. Suspiria should respond within the next 47 hours. I'll be in my quarters. We'll let you know when she makes her appearance. Well, that won't be necessary. I'll know when she's here. Tannis has shown me the next level. The psychokinetic manipulation of matter. That is a large step for someone whose mental abilities are still undisciplined. Nevertheless, I am intrigued. May I? Please. He showed me how to use the fire in my mind. Fascinating. However, I would advise caution in exploring this ability until you have mastered the... I have to stop the fire. How do I stop the fire? Tuvok! Tuvok! Can you tell me what to do? Tuvok! Yes, I don't think she's quite ready for uh, her new abilities, and as Tuvok learns in this uh, scene uh, and gets his uh, face kind of uh, a little melted. Uh, it's it's interesting, though, in the next scene, which I'll play here in a second, the clip, uh, you know, his face gets pretty, it looks like he's been out in, the, in you know, the, the sun in a desert for like about a week laying there. Uh, gets kind of blistered and things. But in the next scene in Bay, man, he's, he's looking pretty good. This holographic doctor... Uh, is good and uh i think it would have been kind of a little bit better if they put a little uh you know something on his face like he was a little hurt or you know a band-aid or something like that but anyway uh let's play the next clip i like their uh there's a great line from the doctor from robert picardo here about uh, vulcans and uh well vulcans and, and how they are as patients so listen to this what happened your cell membranes went through hyperthermal induction the temperature of your blood rose by 37 degrees in a matter of seconds. You were in shock, and I resuscitated you. I'm restricting you to light duty for the next three days. Try and get some rest. That will not be necessary, Doctor. My Vulcan healing techniques do not require an extended period of convalescence. Vulcans make the worst patients. Fine. But if you're feeling any nausea or dizziness, I'm expecting you to report the sick bay at once. Of course. Yeah, so uh, Mr. Tuvok, not uh, the best of patients. Uh, Vulcans, just like Spock, uh, never really wanted to hang out in sick bay. You know, Vulcans are, are tougher than that. They don't need that, you know, they don't need to rest up. But, it, it, you know, it is kind of, to me, you know, his blood was raised 35 degrees. His skin was blowing up almost. And boom, and a couple minutes later, he's just fine. So, uh, well, of course, that's Starfleet medicine in the 24th century, I guess. Uh, but anyway, the the next clip, uh, there was a little clip I was going to play about uh, after Kess uh, kills some plants in aeroponics, you know, with the fire in her mind and all by accident with Tannis. But it just kind of continues the same thing where he's trying to lure her with, uh, 
uh, all these new powers and abilities and to meet up with more in Kampa and to live longer, perhaps. Uh, but he's still very hesitant and with good reason. He's not to be really fully trusted. Uh, but I'm going to move ahead now to the next clip, which is when Suspiria shows up. And she's this little girl, kind of looks like uh, Alice from Alice in Wonderland, has this little dress, is in engineering uh, has uh, sort of taken out uh, Balana and the other engineering crew, and Janeway shows up down there. Oh, one thing I have to mention, Tuvok uh, being security and very cautious type person, uh, early on in this episode decided it to tell Janeway or decided to make a uh, kind of a device uh, with a... Um, uh, a, a way to incapacitate a caretaker. With what happened to the caretaker in the first episode, they felt uh, Tuvok felt that it was necessary to have some kind of a weapon that they could use against this very powerful being. And it's a good thing that they did because Suspiria comes aboard Voyager and she's not very happy. Who are you? Suspiria? I've been looking forward to meeting you. Why? Because I had the opportunity to talk to your companion before he died. Yes, I know. I can feel her presence. She's powerful. Turbulent. She's upset. She's angry. Kiss. to destroy the ship. Kiss, listen to me. There's nothing to worry about. Am I interrupting? He told us that you were curious and went off to explore the galaxy. We're explorers too, but your friend brought us to this quadrant against our will. And we haven't been able to find a way back. Is that why you killed him? We didn't kill him. You destroyed the array and you took his remains. I assure you. No. You killed him. And now I will kill you. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool idea to have a little girl being this powerful being. You know, that plays against uh, what you would think. You know, it's not some uh, old man or old woman that shows up that has a lot of uh, wisdom and experience. You know, kind of a, a wizard-like character, like a Gandalf almost. But, it, you know, they Star Trek likes to to mix it up a little bit like that. And they put this little girl in place. Who's this powerful being. One thing, again, uh, one little difficulty I have here is if she's really this powerful and, and that, why would she think Voyager killed the other caretaker and, and blame them for all these things? Uh, it's kind of like uh, a little misinformation there. You think she would be better than that with all these powers and abilities that she could go to where the caretaker had died uh, you know, kind of read the minds of some of the people around and, and so forth. And, you know, just she'd be able to figure it out. But I guess you wouldn't have much conflict, much much of an episode then if that was the case. So it's kind of an interesting point. Uh, I guess they're not all all powerful, uh, kind of like the QR on, on Next Generation. They would know a little bit better than that, although they, they have their problems and uh, misinformation as well. The next clip is after they've... Uh, Captures Suspiria, Janeway blasts her with Tuvok's little weapon. She gets caught, or they put her in a little force field, and uh, then this is what takes place after that. So listen to the clip. So, now you kill me as you did my mate. No. 
I told you we didn't kill him. Please try to understand. We don't want to hurt you. We don't want to hurt anyone. We just want to get home. Tuvok, release the force field. Captain. Do it. You'd show me mercy after what I did to you. Yes, I would. so the federation comes through again you know we're uh or the crew of voyager very merciful kind of reminds me of the end of the scene in the original series episode arena where kirk won't destroy the gore and the metron shows up and tells uh kirk that he showed the advanced trait of mercy and the fact that he won't destroy his enemy even if even though he could janeway does the same thing here kind of parallels that situation as well and, you know, that's what makes us a little bit above, uh, you know, the bad guys in the, in the universe where they would just whack them and uh, then move on. So uh, so that's good. That's good. Starfleet and the Federation still upholding those kind of, uh, you know, virtues and qualities in the Delta Quadrant. So got one more clip in the episode to play. This is uh, the end, a little scene, uh, kind of wrap things up with uh, Tuvok and Kess. So listen in and I'll be right back. Captain's Log Supplemental. We've resumed our course back to the Alpha Quadrant, but the female caretaker is still out there with the power to send us home. And I will use all my power to find her and convince her to do just that. I looked at the team and I tried to make it boil, but nothing happened. Without Tannis' help, I just can't do it. Nevertheless, your psychokinetic abilities are still part of you. They might resurface one day. To be honest, I never want to see that part of myself again. To which part are you referring? To the part of me that got pleasure from destroying those plants in the Aeroponics Bay. To the part of me that was tempted to go with Tannis. I never realized I had such dark impulses. Without the darkness, how would we recognize the light? Do not fear your negative thoughts. They are part of you. They are a part of every living being. Even Vulcans. You? The Vulcan heart was forged out of barbarism and violence. We learned to control it, but it is still part of us. To pretend it does not exist is to create an opportunity for it to escape. Let us begin. Open yourself to the impressions around you, the thoughts, minds that are on this ship. Well, there you have our look at the episode Cold Fire from second season Star Trek Voyager. Good episode. Uh, really a, a good opportunity for the character of Kess and for her to develop a little bit. Uh, nice things with Tuvok there, too. 
and you learn more about this, uh, the Nacine, the, the caretaker's race and species with uh, Suspiria showing up. A funny name, too, I think, just for uh, uh, such a uh, powerful being, Suspiria. Sounds like a vampire or something. Anyway, I'm going to take a short break here. I'm going to play a little uh, phone call that I received that I thought everyone might uh, get a kick out of. So listen to this phone call, and after that, I'll be back with a collectible review. Rick, hello. It's Alec Baldwin. My heart is filled with joy. That's right. I am in love. In fact, I'm so in love with my new show, 30 Rock, that I, a famous star of stage and screen, am personally calling people to tell them to watch the show. Yes, even you. Even if you work in science. And your only joy in life is reading books. You get a personal call from me, Alec Baldwin. And I'm so serious about you watching 30 Rock that I've come to Michigan to make sure you take me seriously. In fact, I'm at your family room window right now. And by the way, I'm not above telling you, you have nice eyes. Watch 30 Rock. Bye. Well, that was uh, nice of Alec to give me a call and talk about his show 30 Rock, which I really enjoy. It's on NBC's, uh, NBC's, NBC's, it's on NBC Thursday night, uh, 30 Rock, great show, Tina Fey from uh, Saturday Night Live, and Tracy Morgan's on there, it's a really good show, really like it, Alec Baldwin, it's just hilarious on there, so Alec, keep it up, great job. Well, uh, we're going to talk about a collectible, now this week I thought it'd be kind of fun, I was cleaning out some things, doing a little uh, rearranging of stuff down here in the uh, Rico's Collectible Museum in my basement, and I found a, uh, this is a uh, Star Wars blaster replica that I made myself completely by hand uh, many years ago after uh, the the second Star Wars film came out, and I mean the second Star Wars film in the original trilogy, The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, that summer when that film came out, I was so impressed with it and, and loved it so much, but and you know, in that time in in the 1980, there was nothing out. You know, Star Wars wasn't like you know you could turn around and see napkins and you know paper plates and action figures and everything lining the Walmart shelves of Star Wars collectibles that they've got these days. So I I decided to make my own Star Wars blaster replica modeled after uh, Han's uh, blaster in The Empire Strikes Back. Now. Uh, what I did is I basically used a lot of sheet metal and I kind of took some photos that I had seen in magazines and drew a sketch of the item and tried to get an idea of accurate measurements for it and went a lot of times to the hardware store, to electronic stores like Radio Shack. I built in a, a strobe with some LED lights on the side of the blaster and it came out pretty good. I even cannibalized a small telescope uh, sighting scope for the side sighting scope on the blaster. And, uh, you know, it's it's got its, uh, you know, drawbacks. It's not, of course, perfect. But, you know, when I did this, I I crammed all the electronics in. I painted it black. I, I glued on some uh, strips on the grip to kind of give it a wooden handle look a little bit. And, you know, until I got my cool Master Replicas blasters that I've got uh, from the A New Hope version and Empire Strikes Back version of Han's weapon, this was the best thing that I had, and uh, I really enjoyed doing it. It probably spent uh, uh, many, many hours putting it all together, painting it, and detailing it, and everything like that. But it came out pretty cool, I think. 
I'm going to have some pictures up. Uh, there will be a link to that in the podcast notes for this week, along with everything else, of course, that we talked about on today's show. And you can see more photos up and up in the collection gallery. One thing I do want to mention about the collector's gallery is I'm trying to do some tweaks and improvements on the gallery itself, uh, trying to put up the new version. The, you know, these programs that you use for these kind of things, they're always updating them. And I struggled with it last night trying to update it to the latest version because it had some new features, but I kind of messed my gallery up, so I had to re put on the old one again. So anyway, all I wanted to say on that is if in the next couple of days the gallery isn't working or you can't get to the collector's gallery off of the main treksf.com or treksinsidefi.com website, uh, please bear with me. I am doing some uh, improvements to it. So so anyway, that's yeah, my Han Blaster, totally handmade by Rico himself. Uh, had a lot of fun with it. When I This was in a time of my life when I had uh, more free time to build these kinds of things. And I learned a lot. Uh, you know, I built a strobe into it that had to charge up kind of like a strobe uh, that's in a uh, typical flash camera. Uh, did the circuitry for it and crammed it all in. It's kind of funny with electronics, especially even in those days. Uh, you didn't have a lot of room to put things in these props. And one thing I'd love Master Replicas to do sometime, you know, they've had such a great uh, run of Force FX lightsabers. I really wish they would do a Force FX type uh, blaster. I've heard rumors over the years that they may do something about that. Uh, they may put something out along those lines. You know, a blaster with some cool sound effects and lights and things that would that would flash when you fired it and sound like Han's weapon or Luke's weapon would be great. I would just love that. I'd eat that up, and I think a lot of the other collectors out there would as well. So, Master Replicas or other people, if you're listening and you got any influence on Master Replicas, I'd love to see a Force FX blaster. Well, folks, that's going to just about do it for this podcast number 114, just about in the can, almost uh, completed. I hope everyone, uh, if you're listening to this very quickly after it goes out, I hope you're enjoying your Easter. Or if you're listening to it in a day or two, I hope you had uh, a nice uh, holiday uh, weekend if you celebrate it, like I said earlier in the show. And again, next weekend's show is going to be about Star Wars The Phantom Menace, Episode 1. Uh, the movie from 1999. We're going to be looking at that uh, and get those contest entries in. Tell me what Star Wars character that you really love the most, and we'll be playing some of those on next week's podcast. Next weekend's show will be the limit for that entry. You'll have to get it in by the latest very early Sunday morning, which is when I usually record the show, which will be, that'll be show number 115 probably for April 15th. So get those entries in to win the uh, Obi-Wan I'm sorry, not Obi-Wan. What am I talking about? I'm looking right at it. The Qui-Gon, Qui-Gon Jedi gear action figure from Hasbro. So until next time, everyone enjoy your week. I will talk to you again soon. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. This has been a Rick Dosty podcast production. You said don't talk fast, and that's how you show excitement. All right, talk a little faster. Okay. This has been a Rick Dosty podcast production. This podcast, copyright 2007, all rights reserved.